episode number 47 of the Tip and Steer Leadership. I have Mr. Mickey Farrell with me from the New York City Fire Department. And uh, we're going to get into a few things today, and you know, some of it will uh, kind of even make you laugh. So the topic for today that we're going to kind of get into is uh, you got to laugh at yourself. And uh, the pre recording fiasco that we just went through is, makes you, just makes you got to chuckle. Um, and then I had some technical difficulties over here. I don't know if you noticed that or not, Mick, but uh, I couldn't get the uh, music to turn off or the volume to go down, and I don't know why. And that's never happened to me before, so that's great. Mickey, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you. Good morning. Give everybody a little glimpse into your world, and uh, you know anybody that may not know who you are, uh, you know, introduce yourself. Mike, thanks for having me. I think my bad luck with uh, technology is rubbing off on you. Uh, <laughs> seems to never end, but... <laughs> My name is Mickey Farrell. I have 29 years in the fire service, 23 years with the New York City Fire Department. I'm currently the rank lieutenant. Uh, I teach firefighter survival mindset at the New York City Fire Academy, as well as an author and creator of Top Floor Tactics, which is simply a platform and social media where I put my thoughts into words and review from the top floor, which is a new podcast that I'm slowly but surely working out the kinks to get to you. So that's a little bit about myself. And uh, thanks for having me on, Mike. Oh, it's no problem. And, uh, you know, like I said, what we're going to talk about today is something that I am intimately familiar with. And, uh, you know, being an officer riding in the front seat of the fire truck, um, being a leader, being a, you know, being a father, being, you know, at home, there comes times where you, you got to laugh at yourself. You really do. I mean, there, I don't know if you've had this or not, but there's been times where I've been kind of wound up. And uh, one of the guys that I'm that I'm working with, one of the guys on my shift, to look at me and kind of grin, and then we all just kind of bust out laughing, even though I'm at the tenth degree, pissed off, ready to fire them off, and they just kind of laugh. And all you all you can do is just laugh at it, you know. I mean, what do you think about that? You, you made a post a while ago that I reached out to you about, and let's talk about that, there, uh, sir. Well, I think I mean, like with everything in life, a little bit of humility goes a long way. But with that humility, you have to be able to laugh at yourself. Um, even in the kitchen, right? So we're so quick to fall into kitchen quicksand, meaning that some guys avoid the kitchen because they don't really want to be a part of, of the ball breaking or the ability to laugh at yourself. They don't have that. And I think that's very important for a young firefighter. Uh, I often get a question, like, some, what are the, some of the things to do to navigate those first couple months in the firehouse? And that's simply just laugh at yourself. Go into the kitchen with the understanding that you might not even know how to boil water. But let's laugh about it and learn how to cook, like the, like the little things. And that will eventually transform over to the fire ground. And having the ability to laugh at yourself in the moment there as well is very important. Yeah, and I think it's just like anything else. Discretion is everything. And so obviously, there, you know, you have to be serious at some point. I mean, that's, that's a given. But I do think, you know, having a little bit of a lightheartedness, a little bit of a, I don't know, what the word, foolhardy, is that the right word for that? I don't think it is. <laughs> But uh, I don't, I'm not a good dictionary. <laughs> but uh, but being able, you know, being able, like you said, to to laugh at yourself, and and you know, and you know how this is uh, when it comes to being, especially being new, especially being in, in the kitchen. And, and I'm really glad that you brought that up because, you know, when you're new, and how you handle those events, those situations, kind of understanding that you know you're going to go in and you're going to get absolutely destroyed and have your balls broke over stuff that are just stupid, like dumb stuff, but like the dumbest thing in the world. Like you, you're not going to get away with a damn thing. You're going to get absolutely roasted over any tiny mistake. And the point that I'm making though is I feel like when you're able to understand that and, and, and embrace it when you're very, very young or very, very new, I should say, 
that's going to follow you throughout your entire career because people aren't going to stop doing that. Like, and you, you know, maybe you can talk to this a little bit as well. And I assume it's the same way everywhere. You know, if, if people aren't messing with you, they don't like you. If people aren't giving you a hard time and, and breaking your chops, they may not, they most likely may not respect you because they don't think you can kind of take it. And the reason why I bring that up, and, and, and this is the example that I use, I had a discussion with a firefighter and, I, and I'm an officer, I'm a lieutenant as well. And, you know, what, I don't even remember what the conversation was or how it started. And I remember looking at him like, hey, MF, or, I was like, why do you always have a comment? Like, you have something to say about every effing thing in the world. And he's like, well, that's because I can say those things to you. I feel comfortable enough with you or I can not hold back with you. And, and you know, I, I can screw with you the way I mess with I mess with you the way I mess with this guy over here. You know, and who he's pointing to is another firefighter. And, you know, I, I think that's something that, you know, because all of this is about leadership, right? That's my whole wheelhouse is, is being a company level officer and being a leader. And, and I think, you know, when you create the environment to where guys are allowed to have that rapport with you, that, that um, casual side with you, I think that's very important. But to circle all this back, and I apologize for being very long winded, is it all starts from being able to learn that when you're new. Yeah, and it's what you said at the beginning was if they're not if if they're not breaking your balls, they don't like you, and it and that's very real and it, it's pretty straightforward, um, and that goes out to your career of you know the progression of your career. If the guys aren't joking with you, they don't want you to be a part of their team, and most times the guys that aren't joking with you, it's just a way of telling you that listen, this is a team, and you're not a team player. You don't fit in. Um, I truly believe that. Everyone, there's a place for everyone in this job. It'll be a certain firehouse, a certain district within a, a city, a certain job within a fire department. It's not necessarily the engine of the truck, you know. Uh, there's other things to do. Yeah. And I think that finding your way later in your career comes from those early steps of not accepting humility, of not accepting the guys want you to be a part of the team, want you to be part of the family. It's just like a brother and sister. If you watch a brother and sister interact, it's the ultimate love, but they don't always get along. And with that, they're always, they're always going back and forth, you know? So that's where that comes from. And I think that early on, you have to accept that. And that's when I say, don't fall suit to kitchen quicksand, meaning that you walk into a kitchen, if you start to sink right off the bat, it's ultimate failure for the rest of your life and or the rest of your career. And the dominoes will begin to fall the wrong way. Uh, not necessarily when you go out the door. I'm not saying this makes you a bad firefighter by any means, but if you're not rolling with the punches behind those closed doors, then when it, gets to the fire floor you can tell there's probably not that same bond or you don't click as well sure and you know there's also a flip side of that as well you know if if you or not a flip side but another another way to look at that as well and this is something that i've kind of started noticing and, and i guess maybe um it really kind of clicked with me when i got promoted is you know the more i work with people the longer i stay on this job and the more i kind of learn to shut up which has always been a problem for me. I, I run my mouth too much. Um, but like what I've, what I've kind of noticed was, and it was, it was kind of brought to my attention by, you know, a firefighter um, while I was an officer of, you know, if you can't handle me messing with you in the firehouse, how are you going to handle the stress that you're going to run into on a call? Now me messing with you about absolutely everything to the point of you wanting to fist fight me because you're so annoyed may not translate directly into, you know, running into a, a citizen that's having the worst night of their life, knowing their kids trapped on a, on, in a fire floor. They don't really, obviously they're not parallel, 
However, being put on the spot continuously all the time does add a level of controlled stress that, you know, that's something that we can, we can create. So if I can, if you can't handle me busting your balls about absolutely everything in the world, again, like I said, how do, how do we trust you to be able to handle the pressures of how the job is, you know? And, and it was a very interesting way the guy brought it up to me. And, you know, it, I think it kind of makes sense and it kind of goes down to the whole thing. And I've talked about this before as well of, you know, making a cup of coffee. I had a guy that was very upset about the fact that he had to make coffee for the shift. And he's like, well, I don't drink coffee. And it's like, well, it's, it's not about the coffee. If I give you a task to complete, trust you to do it, walk away and don't tell it, don't hold your hand. And I don't stand there and watch you do it. But then I come back to make sure it's done. That's just like anything you could, you can relate that to almost anything on the fire ground. You know, if I, if I can't trust you somewhere where there's, there are no lives at stake, it's not inherently dangerous to your safety, your health, and you can't even make a cup of coffee. You know, how, how can I trust you to, you know, you know, VES that window? It's not your house. It's not your kid. If you're using that ideology, you, you know, it go, everything I still think, and, and we talked about this before, and, you know, I, I kind of threw two things out at you. It, it all goes, circles right back to being part of the team, part of the shift, part of the crew or whatever, and being able to accomplish your job and being a functioning part of that team, a part of that machine. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, the problem to kind of bounce what you just said is that when we allow the outside in, meaning the people who are changing the dynamic of the fire service comes from not necessarily the fire industry, but more so probably on the township level or the city level, the city employees that believe that there's this thing called hazing in the fire service. Is there hazing in the fire service? Well, it depends how far you go with it, right? Sure. Um taking away the bucketing right now bucketing for those that don't know i mean obviously most people that listen to this podcast are firefighters they understand bucketing but that's something that they took away they say it's hazing we can't dump a bucket of water on a firefighter's head really Um, yeah and that's a huge huge thing and it's what we're teaching is a little bit of humility right and that's that key word in that but what we're teaching is to size up a building the first thing we do when we look in we walk into a building is pause Take a breath. Look up. Mm-hmm. That's been ingrained in every firefighter in my generation to look into, look up when you walk into a building. To this day, I get off the rig and I look up into the firehouse to make sure I'm not going to get bucketed. Now, I know there's no water coming at me, but it's just a force of habit. And that just comes from the dynamic of the fire service and allowing the outside to come inside. We're losing that. Even with the meal, you talked about the coffee. He doesn't drink coffee, shouldn't have to make the coffee. Well, it's understanding where you fit in. Now, with the new, I wasn't going to say the woke world, but I guess let's say there's food allergies, okay? We'll go with that route, you know? And that's how we'll, we'll paraphrase it. But a lot of guys have food allergies, and they're out on the meal sometimes. Yeah. A lot of guys are out on the meal all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're out, you're out. You never back in. That's kind of the rule. But that's okay. If you don't want to be in on the meals, you still have to pay for the meals. That's across the board. And when you stop paying for a meal, well, in my opinion, time to move on, time to find a new firehouse. But the prep for the meal, is, even if you're not eating it, it's still very important that you're a part of that prep because even prepping the meal, and I've said this a million times, is the only drill you have to do sometimes for a day tour or a night tour. You come in, you start prepping the meal. One guy's cutting onions, next guy's cutting peppers. The third guy walks in, he starts getting the sausage ready understanding where you fit in. It's not about actually eating the meal. It's about the prep that's the drill. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you also build build a chemistry doing those things, right? And, and as you're talking about that stuff, it's so funny, and and I'm sure the listeners are kind of the same way, and you may be the way, the same way when I'm when I'm making my point. I just in my mind, I'm like, damn, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're getting at, and I know watching that or listening to that. Excuse me. In my mind, I can think of examples of guys that don't want to eat what the people make, which is fine, um, and how I've seen people make comments to guys that don't do anything to help. Like, you know, oh, yeah, nice to see you. Or, oh, yeah, dinner's ready. Of course you're here now. Or like, you know, you know, you know what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The, the little comments. And it's so funny because, again, I think, and this is something that I've talked about before on this podcast, and I believe actually I might have talked about it with you as well, uh, the episode we did before. Of, again, it's all human at the at the at the very basic level, we're all human beings, right? It's all about being accepted. It's about all about guys wanting to fit in, being part of the team, being trusted, right? You can't get, you can't trust without giving trust or it's, let me back that up. It's like respect. You don't get respect until you give respect, right? It's just kind of how it is. So when you go to fit in or you need to be part of the team, part of the crew, it's going to start with something at, at the most basic level, a common level, which is what you're going to eat, right? The, uh, where I work in the um, <clears throat> firehouse I work in, we, we do dinner. We don't do um, breakfast or lunch. We all eat together. We are all together, but we don't cook as a crew. Um, for, the meal is not a, a crew meal. Um, and we work a 24 shift, 24 hour shift. But, you know, everybody kind of has their part. Even if your part is, you know, like for us, one guy cooks. The guy's like basically a chef. So that's his wheelhouse. That's his little specialty. That's his little flair on everything. That's his thing. And we, we let him run with it and we just kind of help him where he needs help. And, you know, at some point while he's doing that, everybody finds their way into the kitchen when he's kind of doing his thing. And we do small little tertiary things, but the main cooking's done from him. But the other part of it is we're all in there talking shit to each other, talking shit to him. Uh, making fun of him in some way they always inevitably make fun of me for something and you know everybody kind of takes their <clears throat> takes their turn in front of the firing squad and you know at the basic human level like i talked about before everybody's in there every, you, you know every day you're building and paying into that bank of um, trust respect camaraderie chemistry i think i think that's where chemistry is built and you know I think it will always translate into the fire ground, but I feel like it's just as important, if not more important than a lot of those drills that you may do throughout the day, because it's not just sitting around, you know, talking crap. I mean, it's, and if you think about it, it, it's all a drill as well. It's just, you're out of, you're off of a call more than you're, you're on the call. So you're in the firehouse more than you're out on the rig, usually, um, in theory. So, you know, those are all the biggest opportunities to pay off on that chemistry, you know, um, crew integrity, creating that, that team, you're going to, that's all going to be fostered in the firehouse. And, and I apologize for being long winded, but, uh, yeah, you know what I mean? No. Yeah. And I think that another thing we're losing is fear. Um, I truly believe that every single good firehouse has a little bit of fear. And when you remove the fear because of fear of getting a complaint against you, well, that's when things start to go south with that family orientation. 
I would probably say for the first five to eight years of my career, I would still get a little pit in my stomach when you walk in that firehouse. Because you know, like oh, you yeah. said, the firing squad's waiting. <laughs> it's gone. My, yeah. And my firehouse where I did the bulk of my career, the place where you hung your keys up was in a closet that was on the other side of the kitchen. So you had to walk through the kitchen. It was like a galley kitchen. It was a small kitchen for, for 12 guys. Yeah. And then you have to hang your keys up on the other side and then walk back through to go to the locker room. So it truly was the firing squad waiting for you. And I remember for years coming to work and sitting in that parking lot and sometimes seeing certain cars like, oh, man, I'm not in the mood for this, you know. But oh, yeah. they're waiting for you. And if you go in and you avoid that kitchen, ultimately you're going to have a bad tour because they'll be all over you. Go in, take a licking, hang the keys up, have a good laugh, laugh at yourself, go get dressed and start your day. You can't take it personal, right? And yeah. when we start taking away the fear in the firehouse, taking away of that feeling of when you turn the corner and you're looking at all the cars in the parking lot and you're like, okay, so-and-so is working. Oh, man. Like, you take that element away as a young firefighter. Uh, I think that the discipline will carry from the firehouse to the fire ground. And I think that's where maybe not always they're listening to the officer when you tell them to do something because they have no fear. And that fear yeah. comes from that senior man that eventually goes to the officer and, and you, you eliminate that because of the new woke fire service. Well, it's just the beginning of the end then, in my opinion. Yeah. And it, yeah, it gives you a little bit of honesty too. So like, and this is, this is fun. Um, don't take, you know, the whole, don't take it personal thing when they, when they, when they break your balls. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you where, where I'm at now, the group that I have, I don't think I've ever had, so many people just absolutely destroyed me for freaking everything. Like some of the times, you know, I'm kind of like when I, when I get, when people mess with me, it's just kind of like, I kind of sit there. I'm like, what the hell did I do now? Like, you know what I mean? Like it just yeah. it catches you off guard where they just like, you like, you don't, if you step out of line one bit, it's like, they're just smacking you down. And it's it, the way you said that just re it, it really, really made me laugh. And it's kind of, I wanted to ask you this. You ever like sat in your car? You turn it off and, you're, and you, and you know, the players, like you, like you just said, you said it very well, you know, the cars and you look around and you're like, here we go. Yeah. Get out, shut your door and <laughs> you know, it's coming. It's like watching somebody wind up to punch you in the face. And you're like, here we go. I'm not getting out of this. You might as well just take it and keep on going. Like you said, um, you know, and the other funny part about it is it keeps you, it keeps you disciplined and grounded too. Like, you know, I, how many times have you been like, you know, I don't know, like, hey, man, I think I might bang out tomorrow. And then you look and tell us that or you look at your staffing, whatever, and you're like, mm, I call out. They're going to mess with me all day when I come back. I don't really need to call. I'm just going to go to work because I'm going to get crushed either way. They're going to crush me for being out. They're going to crush me for being there. You, you got to take one or the other. I'd rather take my normal daily crushing than to call out and get crushed for that. And then my normal, you get, you get, you know, two lumps, you know, take your one lump and, and keep on going. It just is an, an example, you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, and the reason why I bring that up is that that'll, again, translate back into the fire ground. And, and I say that because the guys that give you the hardest time that, that screw with you or mess with you about absolutely everything that I've learned are probably also some of the most respected guys when it comes to how they work on, on the fire ground. And that outspoken and loud mouth changes octave and tone and body language into somebody you don't want to disappoint 
on a fire. Like, yeah, 20 minutes ago, you guys were laughing, chucking and jiving and giving you a bunch of shit. Now they walk up to you with that serious face and then they're like, hey, dude, what happened? Like, why didn't this X, Y, and Z go down right? Why did we get beat in? Why did you get us lost? Like, what the, you know, what the fuck, dude? You, you know what I'm saying? And they go from being super duper loud to straight to the point, very concise and, 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 and serious, like total body language change, whole different person. Yeah, that's a lot what you just said. I like I like that, and and you're and you're right. Um, it's a trust factor that if you're not rolling with the punches when that senior guy is breaking your balls, when you go out the door, it's 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 a level of professionalism that he knows he has to be able to trust you. And the guys that avoid those moments, who hide out in the firehouse, they don't walk to the galley kitchen. They hang the keys up. They'll go hang them in their locker so they don't have to face the firing squad. There's a lack of trust that you lose there. And when you go to a fight, you're not sure you're trusting these guys now because are they part of the team or are they not? Are they taking looking like everyone else or are they avoiding it? Uh, yeah. I'm very, very, very fortunate to where I work now. Where I've never seen senior guys um, that are so squared away. And yeah. on and off the fire ground, like you just said, um, and there's a level of fear where I work now that isn't around anymore. Uh, and, it, and that's something that I feel from working in other firehouses, you see it. And it's lost, and it's almost like not an immaturity that overbears the firehouse, but it's more of like the clowns are running the show here, you know. And I'm not calling the firemen the clowns. I'm just saying no. there's there's no discipline and there's no fear. Uh, and and once you take that away, and then the tones go off, who are we answering to? Where's that level of trust factor? Sure. Yeah, and I think some of the most disciplined firehouses have the biggest accountability from firefighters, not officers. And, oh, I'm yeah. not saying, and I'm not saying officers do not hold people accountable, but it's a whole different level um, when, you know, one of us have to step in. Like, you know, don't come to me unless it's the, the no to zero tolerance stuff or the, the um, uh, you know, those big, I don't want to say woke, but the big buzzwords, right? Like, you know, sexual harassment, EO, or, uh, you know, equal employment opportunity stuff, like the government level um, stuff that we're accountable to know and see in, in the, um, as an officer. Um, but, uh, you know, and the reason why I bring that up is, and maybe you could talk to this a little bit as well, and, and I'm sure you're, the minute I say it, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Have you ever seen it where there's really good shifts? In a firehouse, like, you know, the firehouse is known for being squared away and decent. And then you have that one shift that's not at the level of the others. And, you know, the officer's not a bad officer, but the firefighters do not hold themselves and each other accountable to the same level as some of the other shifts do that are high-performing shifts. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, now, we don't really run at shifts, but we have groups. and <laughs> But it... With that, it, it I understand what you're saying. Where it, you work with certain guys more often than others, and sure. when you mix other guys into the mix of that camaraderie or that family or that brotherhood, and they don't always click because they don't know each other that well, um, you can see not the weak link, but it's a little bit, maybe not as strong that company integrity, uh, not only on the fire ground but in the firehouse, and I think that that trickles back to. Again, having that fear level. Uh, I keep going back to the word fear, but I think that we're losing that. And with losing that, we're losing all those things, right? That, that, that accountability factor and having to be accountable for every action you do. From the, the kitchen table to the drill to committee work 
to prepping the meal to the fire ground, the fire floor and the floors above, you have to be accountable. And having that weaker shift or that weaker link in the integrity of a company or a firehouse, it it, it stands out. It truly yeah. does. And I think that ultimately roots back to experience over perfection and aggressiveness over ego-driven. And when you break that down, it's like experience is not perfection. Sure. Experience comes from a series of mistakes, like I say all the time. And aggressive is not about ego-driven. And when I see aggressiveness, it's that fear. That's not ego-driven. It's accountability. Yeah, and I think, well, if nothing else, I don't think it's ego-driven. I think it's ego-control. Because if you have the ability to not allow your ego to bleed out and your ego to affect your reactions, I think that's the ultimate control as well. Because, I mean, any immature child, it's just like a, a kid having a temper tantrum. You have kids. A kid having a temper tantrum. They can't you know, they don't know how to um, communicate their frustrations or whatever. So they throw themselves on the ground and scream. I mean, obviously that's not a acceptable, you know, after you're two, but you understand what I'm saying is that yeah. there's, there's no, no control over yourself and there's only one way you can uh, express and that, and that's by doing it incorrectly. But when you, when you're able to control your ego, I think that pay, plays into it substantially. You know, I, I just, I don't, yeah. No, yeah, and you know, we're type A personalities in the fire service, right? Now, you've got some guys that are quieter than others, and then you have the ones that are louder than others. But at a fire, we all have to have a type A personality to perform. It's like any other professional athlete. I consider every firefighter not paid or volunteer. Um, when you go out that door, you are professional tactical athletes at the highest level. And that comes through ego, but it also comes through understanding where you fit in and that experience comes not only from a perfection in the moment but humility and these are all words we throw around and it's pretty much only words that i can identify that feeling or that or that connection to um transforming from the firehouse to the fireground yeah 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 sure and you know the other thing and to touch a little bit on um you know, working with, you know, you said you had groups, we, we have shifts, uh, we're broke down into um, four shifts. And there's, you know, a certain amount of people on the floor every day, it, it varies on this, you know, whatever firehouse you're at. But, you know, the, to touch on this a little bit more, you know, something that I've noticed too, is, um, you know, your standards on your shift is much different than the standards on a different shift, right? So you have some really, really, really squared away guys on, let's say, shift number one. and you know, shift number two is working overtime on shift number one. A guy from number two is working on number one. And number two is not at the same level as number one. Number two is does not have the accountability up and down from the most junior firefighter to the most senior firefighter and the officer. It's just not the same. And I've I've seen this where, you know, certain shifts won't hold each other accountable. And then that low performing, low accountability shift accountability shift works on the high accountability shift and you can tell they're a fish out of water that you can see it from a mile away. And the most interesting part is the firefighters still chirp that guy and hold him accountable. Like, you know, Hey, look, this isn't your day to work. This is our day to work. This is what we do on our shift. Don't pull that number two BS here. Like this is number one. That's not how we do things. And I, I think that's, I think that's a good thing. I, you know, I, I've seen it. I like it when I see it. And, you know, 
you know, in the moment, it's a little awkward. Like, if I, you know, you're kind of sitting there and you're watching this guy get absolutely smoked and you're kind of like, ooh, boy, how's he going to react? You know, it, it's, I think it's a good thing. I and mean, I think it's firefighters holding firefighters accountable, not getting to our level as officers. Yeah. So we have details in our job where you can work from a different borough within the same borough to a different battalion but as as big as we are and as and as in line with one another like tactics are the same they may vary from borough to borough just a little bit um just because of building instructions but overall there's a quality of standard and there's company standards that differ within the standard of the fdny and the company standards every company has their own standards and they set those standards now not having the shift, but having the detail, right? So we have a firefighter that comes in. He's working in our company. Maybe where he's from, the standards aren't the same as the company he's working for that day. Uh, the problem with that is, though, we go to a fire. It doesn't matter if he's there for the day. He's representing that company. And just because he's not up for the standards of that company, that weak link could ultimately, in the end, embarrass that company or or jeopardize the reputation and the standard of that company because that firefighter is not up to par with the standards of that certain company. Um, that's a problem. And sure, you know, details are details. And for the most part, 90% of the time, every detail is, is, is on the same page or has that high level of standard because they're in that job and they're working in a certain area in the city for a reason. Um, but sometimes that's jeopardized. I don't like when they send young firefighters or probies out on details because now as an officer standpoint, like, you, you're now, I mean, we're responsible for everyone, mm-hmm. but now you're getting a, a firefighter with zero experience into your mix, into your integrity of your company. Um, that's dangerous. Sure. Sometimes because of staffing, there's no way around that. I understand that. But I think there's something to be said with companies that don't send probies out on details or allow them to work in other firehouses or other parts of the city because that jeopardizes that company standard as well as where that firefighter is going to work as a senior man sending that probie to them, it's not fair to jeopardize the other company's standards because of your young firefighter with zero experience. Sure. And, you know, the other thing about it, too, which, I mean, this probably can go without being said, but, you know, I want to bring it up anyway. You also have the whole factor of, you know, now you have to take your time away from your normal routine and the normal motions that you, not motions, that's the wrong way. Um, <clears throat> when you guys have an operating, you know, the way you normally operate, and your, your operational tempo, you now have to change that dynamic that's so ingrained in your head and the chemistry that you built and the way everyone works. And you know what, you know, Rick, Bill, Dave, and John are going to do. But now you have little Billy the rookie and you're like, well, hold on, man. I have to stop because now I have to make sure I know what he is doing. I see him at all times. We are on the same page, you know, and you, you're on a truck, right? Yeah. So um, I'm on a single engine house. Right. So if it was me, it would be, you know, physically being able to touch this guy. Hey, you need to be over here. You know, those kind of things to where you're not able to get that big picture that you once were. And I'm not saying rookies are going to lead people to get hurt or killed. However, um, you know, that needs to be in the back of your mind as an officer is to making sure they don't get lost. They don't get separated. All those things. Normal common sense things. Sure. Yes. But when you start, at least in my experience, when you start throwing wrenches or changing the way you normally operate, what I've learned is that's when things kind of start coming down the pipe of, you know, hey, you weren't where you're supposed to be. Yes, I know because I was doing X, Y, and Z. 
and we took a little bit of extra time because I do have a rookie with me today. We had to keep, you know, keep my eye on him. He's not part of the normal, he's not normally part of our shift. And, you know, this is how we normally run our lines. I had to explain to him in the morning. I had to reiterate it on this call while we're pulling it. And, you know, it, it, it can delay things. I, and, and I think it can take your temp, your geez, it can take your attention, excuse me, from the, the big picture. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's a lot sometimes with, or not a lot. It's, it's, it changes your, your, your tempo. I think sometimes when you have a rookie, that's not your rookie. If it's your rookie, then yes, they come, they get brought in. They're part of the, they're part of the system and you're that well-oiled machine. Um, at least that, that's my experience. And I do have an example I want to share with you. I didn't know if you, um, if you had anything you wanted to add on to what I just said. Yeah. I just, you know, we have rotting lists. I don't know how you guys do it. Um, Same we have lists. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's just something to keep in mind uh, as as an officer or if you are that young firefighter and now you're off probation and now you have a front piece on that's not a probie front piece, but you still haven't had a fire. Maybe a couple fires here and there, but you still have not had a fire that completely humbled you. Be honest about that because we have to understand, we have to know, we cannot take that rotting list for granted. That rotting list is my battle sheet. And I look at that and I put it together and I've, I'll admit I've taken it for granted. I've taken for granted the reputation of a company and not diving into the details of that battle sheet and understanding the experience level as a company. Tremendous. Let's dive in and look at the details of the men working, the women working that day in that company. And now when we go to a fire, we can kind of reanalyze things. We can set that tempo a little bit differently by looking at that battle sheet with a different light. Sure. And, you know, this also, this, the, the, uh, the writing list is important too, but, you know, bring back in the kitchen table and, you know, walking through and hanging your keys, right? Small talk is everything. And, and the reason why I want to bring this up is, so I worked overtime at a company and I walk in, you know, kind of look at the players for the day, who's who. I literally knew two guys on a medic unit. The other three people, the three, the, uh, actually I knew two people, excuse me. One, uh, one girl that was on the engine, the guy driving and the guy in the back, the other firefighter in the back, I, I've never met them before. Well, I don't know you, so now I'm going to go engage you and talk to you. I'm going to probably size you up a little bit. I think that's just my nature. Um, I have something I've learned as an officer is how important this kind of, this part really is. So we were just kind of BS and Chuck and jive and whatever. And I'm like, you know, Hey man, so like you're on the line today. I see you're a rookie. I was like, uh, how many fires you been to? He goes, none. He's like, I've never been to one. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. He's like, we've had fires. He's like, but it was, you know, my ambulance rotation. It was the other rookie because they have two rookies at the firehouse uh, on that shift. One's on the ambulance. One's on the, um, the engine and then there's a medic unit. So there's three units there, but they're all one shift. So that's four or five, six, seven, eight people a day. Um, and, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, I've never, I've never pulled out a line and put out a house fire ever or any fire besides a car fire. So I'm like, all right. I was like, uh, how long you been here? He's like, yeah, I've been here like eight months. I'm almost done with my rookie book. You know, I just, he's, I just haven't had a fire yet. I'm like, all right, we'll kind of, we'll, you know, and we're just literally talking, you know, and, to set the tone a little bit, um, there's three inches of snow on the ground. You know, they ran probably 25, 30 calls to the shift before. So, I mean, it's all kind of everything that we're talking about, what's going on is just pointing to one final actual outcome. I'm sure you understand where I'm going with this. So we ran like three or four calls in a matter of two hours. And um, they were all suppression calls, no EMS. And uh, sure enough, 
we got popped out for a uh, first due reported townhouse fire. And we get there, smoke's blowing out the back, blowing out the side. And, you know, I ran around, did my 360 real quick, ran back up. I'm like, hey, you good? He's like, yeah, when do you want me to go in? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I was like, just get dressed. We're, we're good. Let me chalk the door. No big deal. Like, All right, cool. Gets masked up, goes in, opens a line, flows some water. Um, he was, I wouldn't say he was hyper-focused on anything, but it was kind of funny because he slipped on the floors, um, tripping over a couple things. So now he's like laying on, he, he didn't lay on the ground, but like he tripped and fell down with the line open, shut it down real quick, picked him up, knocked the fire. No big deal. And literally from parking brake to line on fire was less than a minute. I mean, I just to compress this time, there's all those little events happened very, very, very quickly. And looking back on it, you know, him and I talked and he's like, yeah, man, he's like, ah, I don't even think about, you know, I don't know what I tripped on. He's like, I don't know if the floors are slippery or whatever, but it was quick recovery. And the more things we were talking about, I just, in the back of my mind, you know, after we talked, when I was reflecting, when I left to go home, you know, I was only there for the day half. I just started laughing, thinking to myself, like, man, I knew exactly what he felt like. I know what it, you know, I've been there as a new rookie. Holy shit, it's a fire. Holy shit, I'm on the line. It's my first one, you know? And then the, you know, I tripped over stuff and I fell down and my office was like, what the hell are you doing? Let's go. You know, it all just made me have one big smile on my face, just reminiscing on, on the past. And, and I kind of started laughing a little bit, not laughing at him, just laughing in the moment. And the reason why I bring this up is, you know, I walked in, I didn't, I knew maybe two people, three people from the entire shift that was there. And I had people I didn't know. So I didn't know the driver. I don't know his abilities, strengths, weaknesses, nothing. I don't know the rookie's strengths, weaknesses, nothing. Cause I've never met this kid before. Great guy. He did a bang up job. Um, but there was rookie things that happened. You know, I've never been to a fire tripping over things. Um, Hey, you ready for me to go? You know, those kind of things of, stuff that I believe he was taught. And I think he was taught well of communicating with the officer. Hey, I'm masked up. I'm ready to go. Let's go. That's good. I think those are really good things as, as a rookie to have the, have the thought in your mind to know, to say those things, um, knowing it's a kitchen fire, obviously seeing the fire venting everything. And, um, you know, he did good. And, and I think it worked out really well, but I, I think it's something that really made me stop and, you know, kind of think and, and appreciate of, you know, you have to be able to keep that communication with the, when you have a rookie and, and, and you're not going to be able to predict when those situations are going to happen, you know? Yeah. You know, I kind of, I mean, I'm glad I got promoted later in my career because that's helped me. Um, oh yeah. It's, it, it's helped me when dealing with chiefs and other officers and just, just being a man, I guess, you know, like I've had a lot of experience experience making mistakes throughout so now being on the other end of it i see the mistakes being made and like i I did that i did that as well you know and you kind of have a different way of looking at things um that said though i've also learned now being a newer officer but with time on the job there was a long gap where i lost sight of how we have to actually communicate verbally at a fire um doing it for so long with the same guys we had you know we had a senior company we were pretty in tune we had that that i talked about the flow state right we had Mm -hmm. it dialed in where we got off the rig zero communication job gets done we're communicating like through our instincts in a way understanding where i know where he's going to be and i know how long it's going to take so and so to get there so i'm going to bounce off his performance and do my job and in the end ultimately we have success and we don't have to communicate it's almost like an orchestra and 
you know, and that's had worked for many years. Now being on the other end of this, I forgot those those times where you have to actually tell guys what to do. Um, they know what to do, but sometimes they have to be reinforced. As simple as giving them something to do. Go check the B stairwell. Go do a search. Five stairs up, whatever. It's part of our job as a second two truck. But tell that firefighter to report back to you. And that's something that like... When I was in the truck, you would just go do it, and then you go about your business. No one's telling you to do it. You're just doing it naturally because you've done it so many times. Now with the young firefighter, they want to be told what to do. They may know what to do, but they still want to be told. And I think that we kind of have to give them the opportunity to do it, but then tell them what we want in return. And even if we're telling them things and they know what to do, I think they appreciate it for the most part. I remember being a young firefighter with very, very senior officers. And they would tell me to go do a, a task on the fire ground. And I'm thinking, why is he telling me this? I know this. I'm, I, I, this is how we operate. Why is, he, why is the boss telling me? Now, being on the other end, I totally get it. He's telling me because he wants that job to get done and he wants you to come back and report to him. Just in case there's any room for debate in that moment, nothing's being missed. And uh, so I kind of learned it the hard way where I was assuming guys to do things and they were doing them but they weren't doing them in a timely fashion, maybe. Or there was some kind of doubt where they were like, well, is this the right move or not the right move? And then we get back to the firehouse and they ask me, and I realize, you know what? I probably should just tell them what to do, even if I'm, even if they know what to do or if they expect to do it, I should just give the order anyway. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's actually really interesting the way you said that. And, and I was kind of, <clears throat> I immediately had several situations that immediately popped into my head, uh, specifically with, um, communicating obvious things, right? And I'm not saying obvious, like, you know, they should obviously know that, but, you know, um, we had a situation, uh, we had a call one time where uh, we were told the rear of the building is inaccessible and you cannot get up it. You're going to have to find another route. That's what we were told. About. And we get there and that was not um, relayed correctly. Not, and, you know, it wasn't uh, accessible for the apparatus, but we were not out of our um, reach for an attack line. So instead of running, leading off with like a, two, a 200, we would have to lead off with a 400, but we had plenty of line, right? Um, I didn't turn around and say, hey, 400, and you know, come to the rear and just stand by, don't deploy anything. Uh, our target's going to be the second floor. I didn't say any of that. I assumed they would know that. And I know they know that, and I know they know what we do as as, as a as a third do engine. We you know the third do for us goes to the rear and um, goes to the area of greatest the greatest chance for fire extension or the floor above. This was a top floor fire, so that you typically would stand by and hit an exposure building, um, depending on the style of construction. I mean, obviously you know this; it, it all varies on construction. But I didn't reiterate that. And one of the things one of the firefighters said to me was, you know, hey, next time. You know, yeah, we came to the rear and they told us what to do, but it doesn't really make sense. Maybe reiterate, you know, or maybe say, hey, this is our target. That way we know without a doubt. And, you know, and I get that. And, and that's something that I've kind of come to learn and understand. And I, I did it without realizing what I was doing, but there'd be a lot of times we would get there and I would say, hey, 250, the 250 foot line. Hey, 250 to the rear. Hey, front door. Hey, hold on. Let me do a 360. You know, hey, we're going to do line over ladder, grab the 24. We're going to go up this, this, up this balcony. We're going to do this, this, and this. And it's all stuff they knew. They knew we were going to do it. They knew ahead of time where to go. 
but you know, it, I wouldn't say a confirmation, but there's been plenty of times where like we had one recently where we were supposed to be writ and they're like, no, we need a line into this bill, into this exposure, which is different than our, our procedure, but our procedure can be altered by the battalion chief for, for needs. Right. So the need for us to redeploy was greater um, than the policy. And he's with it well within his rights to do that. But those small little um, communications is, is no, in my opinion, you kind of switch from giving direction to coach. So like when you watch a guy swing a baseball bat, you know, yeah, I mean, Bryce Harper knows how to swing a baseball bat, but you know damn well there's a guy sitting there with him. Hey, man, do this, do that. Hey, with your timing, think this, think that. Any professional athlete, Tom Brady throwing a football, I know damn well. Their quarterback coach is probably saying something to him about grip, um, weight distribution in his legs, like whatever, uh, hip drive, all that kind of stuff. It's all there. And, you know, again, none of that's to tell you how to do it, what to do it. A lot of it's to coach. And, and I think that's something that I didn't, I never really appreciated as an officer and, and I never really embraced and tried to really do um, until within the last probably year. I guess it never really clicked to me. Um, as an officer, and I, and I got promoted fairly early. I got promoted with like eight years on, um, and now I'm at 17 years and almost nine, a little over nine years, nine-ish years uh, of being an officer. And, and you know, I really wish I would have late, waited later in my career. Our systems, our system and your system, I mean, obviously are apples and oranges. Um, but you know, in, in our system, I, I really do. If I could go back and change anything, I feel like I would have waited a little bit longer. But eight years in the area that I worked is, is a lot compared nationally and throughout the county as well. Um, I mean, it, they're busy areas. They're very, very good officers. And, you know, um, yeah, man, when we think about all that. You know, there's a lot to that, what you just said. Um, going back to, you know, Tom Brady uh, throwing the ball, being coached, it's the same thing where, like, you watch baseball, right? And you watch the batter go into the batter's box and he swings that bat so smooth and so fluently. But like you said, you know there's a batter coach breaking down each and every step. Um, that has to be done. And that's what I'm learning the hard way. Not the hard way, but I think I learned a lot about myself getting promoted. Again, going back and relearning this job but from, you know, from a different level. When I was a firefighter, like I said, there was zero, not zero, but very little communication of fires because you just knew where to fit in. And it took years and years and years of mistakes to understand where to fit in. Now I'm making mistakes every day. I go to work as the officer side. Well, those mistakes aren't fatal mistakes, but they're mistakes that I think you have to hold yourself accountable for. Um, sure. Now, in, a, in my job, at one time, we had a set standard on what size line to stretch for certain buildings. Mm -hmm. And that was good to a point in the sense where there was zero room for debate. Like you just knew what line to stretch, but always the good engine officers would say, Hey, start at two and a half to the front door at a taxpayer or commercial building. They would tell you start at two and a half just to take any doubt out. Even though it's written, we have to stretch at two and a half. They take away the doubt because under stress, sometimes we lose our capabilities to think clearly. Now that's been removed from the books, thank God, because now it allows good engine officers to become great engine officers because they can size up a building and a fire and conditions and decide what line we're going to stretch. So now we are predicting what line to stretch. We're ordering what line to stretch and what size. I think good officers over the years were always coaching you to do the right thing, even though what the set standards said. So that's important. Um, I had a fire the other night, just two days ago. And, uh, 
the can man was a detail from from an engine company. The Irons was a young firefighter. Both great guys squared away. We get there, force the door. We control the door. It was in a multiple dwelling. Um, they were ready to go to work. And I just kind of took a moment and told them just, all right, here's the plan. Now, we know what to do, but I wanted to map it out before we went in there. Because I know the can man's not from the company. Great fireman, not from the company. He's an engine company firefighter. The iron's a firefighter. Forced the door. Zero problems, zero issues. He's squared away. He's ready to go. Great, great young firefighter. I told the can man, I need you to go in. Hold that fire back. We're going to pass you. And we're going to search the rear bedroom, but I need you to hold that fire back. Okay. Good, good. Boom. We go to work. It went so smooth. And I was so proud of these guys because they understood where to fit in. Now, I don't have to tell them to do those things because that's our national progression as a fire, as first two truck company. Find the fire. Confine or isolate the fire. Allow the brothers to go past the fire, search the rear bedrooms. We did it flawlessly because we had a game plan. And I learned that from going to fires and not coming up with a game plan and realizing that I expected these guys to know what to do. And they knew, but they just needed a little bit of encouragement and coaching, like you said. A little bit of coaching goes a long way, especially under stress. Sure. And, you know, the, <clears throat> the valuable part of that, and that's, that's a very good example. And, you know, think of the ripple effects from that, that he, uh, the detail guy that had the can, the engine guy that had the can, now he's going to go back to his other company. You know he's going to talk about that fire, and you know that's going to spark um, conversation on their end. It's going to spark, well, what, what did you guys have? What did you do? And now he's talking about it at his company. All those guys are learning it, right? You, I would assume, you and your guys probably talked about the fire you had that last shift. Um, the next time you see each other, you'll probably talk about it from the past shift or whatever, or maybe your off-going shift, oncoming shift, whatever it is. They'll ask you about the fire that you had, and then you'll talk about that. And it's going to keep – people are going to learn. Everyone's going to learn something from that. Everyone. Everyone that comes in contact with that story, even the fish tales that we tell at the kitchen table that are fun, so everyone's going to take something away from that, I think. And, you know, he's going to go back to his company. He's going to talk about it, and, you know, that may affect them. That may – change a tactic that they do that may, you know, impact him when he becomes promoted later on. You know, it, it's all relevant. It really is. I, and I think every single fire is relevant. If you, even if it's a, you know, a, rep, a nice, you know, reps fire, like a, I don't know, like a room or something, a small fire. I call those reps fires or you can, you know, you can call them low budget fires. They all have relevance. They all have importance to it. But again, it all, it all is a matter of, and I've learned this as an officer, what you take away from it. And, you know, him being able to listen to you to being told what to do, being coachable, right, um, I think will enhance his ability to where now instead of just him just being a detail guy that you have to kind of watch, that can make an impact in his career that can last a lifetime. And then maybe when he's in your shoes one day, he has a similar situation. He's a newer officer or whatever he turns out to be. Now he's going to coach a little bit, mentor a little bit. You know, and he has that story and that situation in his back pocket to teach, even as a firefighter, hey, you know, a ladder guy's detailed to the engine. Your job is to control the door, the standpipe riser, whatever. And he's never done that because he's only worked on a ladder. Now he knows exactly what that detail guy feels like and he can finesse that situation even more. So I, I, do, I do feel a lot of this stuff goes way beyond the fire ground becomes, and it circles right back to the fire ground almost every time. Yeah, and that goes back to the word we were talking about earlier is accountability. 
Um, sure. They held me accountable for this fire, and I held them accountable in two ways. Where we got this run for for an oven fire, it was nothing. Mm-hmm. It's a run that many times a lot of companies probably not even get dressed for. They get half dressed; they wouldn't take it serious. Um, in my past, I would take runs like this, like ah, you know, kind of, kind of half-assed getting dressed. Oven fire, right? But these guys were squared away; they were dressed to the nines, ready to go. So they held me accountable to do the same. No, sure. I'm not saying I wouldn't have done the same, but because they were squared away, ready to go, how can I not be, right? So accountability. I was dressed, ready to go. We get up there. Turns out we have a fire. The entire place is going. And the accountability factor was, okay, they held me accountable. I'm ready to go because I truly believe that consistency equals professionalism. And we have to be able to quickly and properly don our gear on every run. Um, but that accountability for holding one another for this is very important. And that was a great example because they were ready. I was ready. Now the accountability factor on the fire floor. They held me accountable to be ready. Now I'm saying, are you ready? And having that conversation of readiness. And then we went to work. And it just kind of, it went so smoothly. And it wasn't much of a fire. I mean, it was a small apartment. But the point is, in my opinion, fires usually don't go flawlessly. This was pretty close, and I was pretty happy with the way things went. Were mistakes made? Yes, always. There's mistakes made at every fire. But having that battle plan or that having that battle sheet, knowing my members, knowing their personalities, knowing their experience, and then discussing it in the moment under stress, lowered the stress, and allowed us to perform. And it also teaches you, and yes, uh, and there's a lot there that you said. I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. I, I think you said it perfectly. Um, I do think it's an, an, a lesson a little bit as an officer and, and, you know, by all means, please speak to this or, you know, if you disagree, let me know. It also teaches you a very valuable lesson as an officer, a leader to read the room, right? You got to read the room. And, 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 you know, the reason why I say that is, um, I'll throw, I'll throw a fire at you from something I just experienced this past year, uh, where the call got dispatched for a service call, right? So service call, you're going to go you know, help somebody with something. And it says in the call text, because we have computers in our engines or in our units. Um, so the engine's computer said, uh, caller states needs a fire truck. That was it. So I'm like, whatever. I'm not really sure what that is. And typically um, for automatic fire alarms or most of calls that are suppression in nature, not lift assist, but suppression in nature, automatic alarms, um, carbon monoxide detector, that kind of stuff. We all kind of throw our pants on. So I kind of threw my pants on. They, all the guys had their pants on, you know, whatever, uh, running pants on and uh, turnout pants. So we're going down the road and then um, messages from the dispatcher come up in orange. So then it pops up, second caller, smoke in the house, second caller, fire in the room, second caller, house on fire to the rear of their residence. Dispatch hasn't said a word, and it's just start, and all I see is just a ton of ticking. Just everything just starts moving. All this cat information starts running, and I was, and I remember looking over. We're getting to the end of the ramp, and the ramp's probably about 100, 200 feet. And I'm like, the house is on fire. Put your gear on. And it was boom, seamless. And we just <clears throat> and I look over. I'm like, flick your lights on, respond. Pick up the radio. Said you know, unit X, Y, and Z to to uh, dispatch. Um, CAD notes are saying this, this, and this, fill the assignment. And sure enough, there was smoke blowing out of absolutely everywhere. 
in this house. It was a uh, split level style house. So you pop, you go through the front door five or six feet in, you know, depending on which way the house is oriented, this house is oriented uh, to the left. So six feet into the left, there are going to be a set of stairs set to go up, set to go down. And that's technically the basement. And then down below that's a sub basement. Fire was down there straight back and it, and it went like clockwork for us. Um, you know, and I, I remember specifically getting there, uh, chief was there. He said, Hey, smoke from all four sides, smoke from the roof line, you know, all right, cool basement. Uh, the three sixties complete. You can see it in the lowest level said to the dudes, you know, we're getting masked up. I'm like, Hey, it's split level. It's going to be six feet in on your left. Should be the down steps, the steps to go down. And, um, it went flawless, you know? So, I mean, if you think about that, you know, on a quiet afternoon, haven't really done a whole lot all day, you go out for a service call thinking it's BS, like you said, similar situation, not the same, but similar. And it turned into an absolute kick-ass fire. Uh, and we were first arrived and we also got to jump on everyone because again, we got dispatched just for, you know, a service call. Whereas everybody else weren't dispatched on it. They're doing whatever they have to go get dressed everything. We're already on the, on the unit heading down the road. Now we just punch it and, and go. So <clears throat> same thing, you know, they had all their stuff on. I almost did not put my pants on, but I remember glancing over hearing the guy clasp the, uh, uh, the pants closed. I remember hearing the click and I'm like, oh, I gotta put my gear on, threw my yeah. pants on, threw my suspenders up, jumped in, didn't think twice about it. Um, so similar, you, you know, uh, and one more example, and, and I'll stop talking so much. Um, there was two situations where we got, one, we got called for a medical get there and there's smoke rolling out the guy's front door. And he's like, yeah, I can't breathe because my kitchen's on fire. Fire was out, you know, fine, no big deal. And then we had one for a automatic fire alarm and we get there and, uh, there's smoke on three floors and there's smoke throughout the entire building. So now we have to go start pounding on doors checking it out, figuring out what it is. And they're like, yeah. Uh, and it ended up being two people that were, you know, uh, under the influence of a substance that uh, turned their oven on and their pizza box with their leftover pizza was still in it and caught on fire. <laughs> so, you know, similar, similar things. Again, throwing, throwing your pants on for an automatic alarm, getting there and you can see visible smoke and they're like, Hey, and you got to fill the assignment. So now you're not looking like an idiot trying to get dressed in the front, in front of somebody's yard. You throw your, you know, you throw your coat on, throw your, throw your pack on and you're good to go. It's a matter of seconds, not get all your stuff out, kick your boots off, do this, do, like, you know what I mean? So it, it's the same thing, uh, or a similar situation, excuse me. Yeah, like you said, you heard the clasp of his pants going on, right? So accountability is a two-way street. Uh, I feel the good companies, they hold themselves accountable and they're ready to go to work. But the great ones, those great companies, they hold the officer accountable as well. Like, uh, you yeah. want to work in this company? Are you up to our standards? Now, the officer sets the tempo at a fire many times, but you have to be up to par to work in certain companies and held their standard. And I, the good ones are ready. The great ones hold you to be ready for their standard. Sure. Sure. Um, I think this is a good point to wrap this up. Uh, make that, I think that was a very, very good point to a very good note to end on. Um, a couple things. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that we didn't get a chance to talk about yet? It's okay. You know, yeah. Just, yeah, I just thought that it was, we, we circle back about understanding who you work with and that, and that riding list and the importance of that. Uh, we have a memorial in the firehouse where I work now. It's a Navy SEAL memorial, a Navy SEAL memorial. 
So we have a lot of seals that come through the firehouse, mm-hmm. take some pictures and whatnot. Um, with that, I get to meet a lot of these guys and talk with them. And they can't grasp their mind around how we detail firefighters in, detail firefighters out, and that you don't have that company integrity of knowing someone so intimately. Mm-hmm. And, they, and it blows their mind as a leadership level saying, like, how do you not know your men? Like, how do you not know them intimately? You're going into battle. How do you not who, know who you're working with? And there's a lot to that. And you never really think about it until they point it out and they think we're crazy. Like, wait, how do you lead these men but not knowing them? So if anything I can say to take away from this is take the time to know the guys. I think that's very important. It's not just, you know, a writing list. I call it a battle sheet. But with that battle sheet, you have to know everything about every person that's on that battle sheet. And if you get a guy for the day, talk to him a little bit. Where are you from? You know, how, how many years you've been on the job? Make the conversation, not just a, hey, hey, what's up, bro? And for the young firefighters that are listening to this, if you take a detail or you're working in another shift, make it a point to go up to the officer's office, knock on the door, go in, look at that officer in the eye and shake his hand and tell him, I'm with you today, boss. Very important. That's something that we're losing is, first of all, just knocking on the door is something we're losing. You walk into any officer office, I was always taught to knock on the door, even if it's open. It's time to respect. Number two, come in, look him in the eye, shake his hand, and say, I'm with you. I agree. I, I think that's very well said. There's, I don't think there's anything I can say to balance that out. Um, in closing, though, we kind of talked about you know laughing at yourself. That's where this all started. Um, you know, I, I think humility and a little bit of laughter can get you through some of the worst situations in your career, some of the most frustrating situations and, you know, something that I never really appreciated, but was able to handle it as I'm older now of being able to be humble and just accepting what happens um, as far as, you know, the mistakes you made. You made it. It is what it is. You can't change the past, but you can change how you react and, and, and move forward. You can change how you do things in the future and you can, um, again, hold yourself accountable to, um, you know, fix, train, learn whatever it is to not make that mistake again. Um, so I got to ask you, do you have an example of, you know, the last time you laughed at yourself on the job, whether it's a fire a firehouse situation, whatever it is, uh, you know, I, I do want to close with that. I got one myself that I think you'll get a good chuckle out of. And, uh, when was the last time you think you laughed at yourself? <laughs> Every run I'm going on, I'm laughing at myself. Uh, <laughs> Me too. You know, it's just, you forget the little things. And, and you know, you don't make a joke amongst it with the crew or the company. But you, like everything I do, I'm like, I can't believe I just did this. I can't believe I didn't do that. I forgot to do this. Um, one example. Hmm. Just a good one. Anything, or even if something that just pops in your head. Something, the last time you can think of that you really just laughed at yourself and said, what the hell? What was I thinking? Oh man, there's so many. I think a lot of it comes down to certain incidents. I don't know chiefs are assigned to, and I'm kind of like doing my own thing. I'm in my own world. And then realizing there's a chief on the box waiting for for a report or something. And they kind of give you a little nudge, but that seems to happen to me more often than not. As I'm learning this, uh, there's just protocols, I guess, that as a firefighter, you never really paid attention to, you know, it's, you just kind of dismissed it. And it was like the officer's job. Uh, but now, like I said, spending so much time as a fireman and now being on the officer side, there's things that you should know and you don't. Yeah. Even the stupid computer in the rig, I don't know how to use. Obviously, my, you, yeah, 
you know my technology problems here. But I got MDT. I still can't figure that thing out. So um, I guess there's not one specific thing I can come up with right now. But every run I go on, I'm screwing something up. And a lot of times it's that stupid MDT. Yeah. No, that no, that's that's good. I, that's that's funny. I look, I dude, I I feel everything you just said in my bones. I I really do. Um, the example I wanted to give was uh, our last the last shift I was at work. Um, we ran a fire, working fire. The first first arriving guys went on the scene, fire showing, you know, whatever. Our situation got or we got yeah. our <clears throat> dispatch order. We were dispatched as the Rick Company. So I remember getting there, pull up. And, you know, we're picking up another company's line to charge their hydrant. And I remember I throw my stuff on, I'm fully dressed and I get out and I start walking. I'm like, all right, Rit, do 360, go out front. I'll double check if there's a basement, look for bars, flat roof duplex, you know, just running through things in my mind as I'm walking up looking. And one of the firefighters goes, your helmet. And I look, turn around and look at the engine. There, there it is on the dashboard. I'm like, man, God damn it. I cannot believe I just did that. And it made me laugh, you know, and it was nice. It was a nice little chuckle because, uh, I did that same exact thing probably like three or four years ago. And, uh, same guy was kind of, or one of the other guys, same guy on the engine. There's the same two on the engine as the last time I did this, but it was a different one of the two. Uh, he's like, Hey, he said, Hey, we're Rit. I'm like, yeah. He's like, Hey, so like, what are you going to do without a helmet on Rit? And I'm like, you go back and get go get my helmet. We all laughed about it, right? It was all, it was funny. It was, it was a nice, funny joke. And, you know, we ended up operating on this last fire and, and we were leaving on fire ground. We're kind of talking about everything that happened, what we saw, what we did, all that. And we didn't, we really, we didn't do anything. We just kind of pulled a line, checked the exposure, but that, that's not here or there. So we're going back and we're walking up, walking back up the street. Cause it's probably, you know, four or 500 foot walk and we're walking, not really, you know, conversation kind of took a lull and one of the guys looks at me and goes hey you got your helmet on right and i and i I know i have it on because i can see the brim and it was it was pretty funny the way he's you know an extra an extra opportunity to give me some shit so that was my thing i just uh you know thought i'd share it with you we started with a laugh and with a lot we started with a big laugh trying to get the computer to work (laughs) i figured we could we could end end on a nice little chuckle as well i think that happens to more guys though they want to admit yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, I got to tell you, dude, I can honestly tell you, I don't f- remember ever doing that as a firefighter. I really can't remember as a driver. I don't remember doing that. I've only done it as an officer. And that's the worst person to freaking do it. Cause you're the officer, you're the boss, you know, and of all times to start doing something dumb like that or something, um, ridiculous as that it, it's, it's, you know, when I'm the officer and, and, you know, I'm supposed to be in charge. And that in itself, the irony makes me laugh. So that's all I got. All right. Um, hey, if we wanted to reach out to you, the listeners wanted to find you, maybe give you a, chat, a shout. Um, you know, you have a podcast. Uh, where could they get a hold of you? And uh, what's the name of all that? I know you touched on in the beginning. Just Yeah. So on Instagram, you can reach out to me in my DM. Sometimes it gets lost, but if it's from this show and you want to talk about something, just put tip of the spear and then your name after it, and i'll get back to you because sometimes it gets buried um as well as the, uh, the website is just topfloortactics.com my email is on there um you go in there i got some upcoming events that are highlighted in there um, some class descriptions if you're interested and the podcast is a view from the top floor that's on the national fire radio platform uh right now we're trying to do it twice a week just trying to figure out the studio i think we're up and running for the most part had to work some kinks out of it but we're moving forward 
progressively, and I'm looking forward to that. So uh, we do have a question answer segment on there. It's called the floor above. Uh, you can submit any questions uh, to the floor above. It's a the floor above the fire at gmail.com. It's a temporary email till we get that squared away. But you can submit your questions there, and I'll get back to you. If I can't get you an answer, I go to my Rolodex of mentors and friends and come up with the best answer possible. All right. But that's all I got. Mike, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk with you. Absolutely. And thank you. And we're going to add all the uh, everything yeah, everything for that in the episode description, all the links. Uh, we'll put it all on there for you guys to easily follow. Pick, thanks again. Don't worry while I close this out. Everybody, again, this is episode 47 of the Pick the Leadership Podcast. One of the things we talked to without all of you as a listener. Can't thank you all enough. More episodes in the coming week, and uh, we're reaching the form of the episode 50. So it's been a great ride, and again, as I said, nothing would be possible without any of the guests and all of my greatly respected and appreciated um, listeners. So, everybody, have a great day, and see you later.